0: Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast and I'm your host Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at the mindfulcoachassociation.com, where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Mindful Coach. I'm your host, Brett Hill, and I'm delighted to be speaking this week with Dr. Joe Sherman. Let me introduce him a little bit before we get started. Uh, Joe is a pediatrician, coach, and consultant to physicians and healthcare organizations in the area of provider well-being, leadership, and career discernment. His services include individual coaching, medical team support, physicians' retreats, and workshops. He's a trained facilitator with the courage, I said that Wrong, it's the Center for Courage and Renewal and Master Certified Physician Development Coach with the Physicians Coaching Institute. He's been in pediatric practice for 35 years, concentrating on healthcare delivery to underserved and medically complex children in the District of Columbia, Tacoma, Seattle, Uganda, and Bolivia. He's held numerous fa- faculty positions and is currently a clinical associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Washington. Whoa, whoa, that's, that's quite a pedigree you got there. Uh,
1: thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Brad. I appreciate the invitation.
0: Oh yeah, it's great, and I, I, you just kind of stood out to me as like I've got to have you on the show because you have a very unique uh, position in the world. I think where you have all this history with, um, you know, deep dive medical, you know, career, and then also you were talking about how you have organized your 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 profession and the work that you do these days to not just provide, you know, help to the children and to, but also to help serve the other doctors and, uh, and service providers in your field. And I'm really interested in that story. Like eventually, you know, somehow one day you decided I'm going to be a doctor. And then I think the way that goes is I'm going to be a, pediatrician did that come at the same time or did you or did you wind up uh, focusing on pediatrics later as you as you grew into learning more about being a
1: doctor oh that's an interesting story Brett again thanks again for having me i I think if I weren't a pediatrician, I probably would not be a doctor oh. i I really feel like the first thing that happened was um uh, a feeling like I was called to work with kids, with working with children, either as a teacher or a coach, a counselor so, or something so like where, that. So when did you kind of, when did that start to wake up in you? How did you notice that? Oh, probably when I was a teenager, I think. And I was, uh, I love sports and I did well in school. So I would tutor younger kids and I would coach sports. And um, and then I, My cousin, uh, who was younger than me, got sick, kind of all of a sudden with pretty severe heart disease. And I was only 16 years old and I used to go visit him in the hospital. Um, And there was a certain, I remember that I felt... it kind of different because all my siblings, I have like six older siblings. Oh, I see. They're all afraid to even go into the hospital. Oh, and wow. I loved going to visit my cousin in the hospital. So I thought, since nobody else wants to do healthcare and they're afraid, I'll do that.
0: Oh, wow. So somehow that was like, not only was it, it was everybody else not doing it, and so I'll step up, but you, you said you loved doing it. So what was it about that that, that like, you liked it,
1: like said, oh, I want to do that some more. Oh, so interesting because I would say what I did for my cousin in that time was just sit and visit him in the mm. hospital. I wasn't doing any type of curative work. I wasn't, I didn't know anything about what was going on with him medically, mm-hmm. but I just enjoyed being with him and kind of comforting him when he was really suffering. And I think that's really what drew me to medicine and what drew me to pediatrics was probably that uh, desire to work with kids and probably some good role models that I ran into in medical school that were pediatricians. What was your age difference between the two of you? Probably just a couple of years. I think he was, well, maybe he was 12 and I was 16, probably just four years. Well, the difference between 12
0: and 16 is a lot when you're 12 and 16, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah,
1: right. So, so I can see why
0: you that that would fit. Um, that's amazing. And so from there, somehow you said,
1: I'm going to be a doctor and you found your way into that career. Right. I, you know, it was kind of a combination of things. I really enjoyed being of service, helping people. I love science and math and things like that. And then it was kind of like trying to figure out, uh what type of profession was was something to look forward to that I could do what I chose to do and and have the biggest impact on people so I think that's what drew me to medicine to have the biggest impact yeah i think so i you know in looking back i think what i really enjoy about medicine is the relationships and and helping people understand what's going on and becoming mm. connected with them in that way and being of service in some way. So I think those are the things that drew me toward it. That's amazing.
0: And so you you went through medical school and then and at some point you said did you start right out going I'm going to you know be a pe- have a pediatric focus or did and then that comes I don't think a lot of people actually know the path, you know,
1: it's like there's medical school and then there's a specialty after that. Right. So in the U.S. at least, it's four years of college and four years of medical school, and then at least three years of residency training, and pediatrics is three years. Wow, um, so it
0: was over a decade of study.
1: Yeah, it was pretty much my 20s are a bit of a blur. I spent, <laughs> well, all, the, all my friends were going out and adventuring through the world, and you know, some getting married, having families. I was still in the hospital.
0: Man, that's that's quite a commitment. That's amazing. And so you um, you began, and then how did that go? How did that work for you when you started doing the pediatric work? Was it uh, what you hoped? Were there disappointments? Was it like exciting? I mean, you know, people's careers can take different kinds of
1: paths. I'm just curious. Yeah, I you know what happened to me was during my training. I trained in an inner city hospital in Richmond, Virginia. And the population was primarily uh, inner-city uh, families that were um, were poor and mm-hmm. had very poor access to healthcare, quality healthcare. So I was really kind of drawn toward that population. I almost feel like that's that's who trained me to be a doctor, to be a pediatrician, I see. and so. As I went through my career, first in Washington, D.C., where I was from, I returned back to my hometown, my city, and I worked primarily teaching pediatric residents in community settings in the city. So that's really where I got my start in my practice.
0: Oh, so you 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 did your 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 work your residency, and um, now did you choose that hospital, or were you, or was that just luck of the draw?
1: Well, I stayed uh, for residency training where I went to medical school. Oh, I see. Yeah, and that's part of this complex matching system that exists in residencies here in the U.S. You know, you put in your choices, and the programs put in their choices, and. They come up with a match, and that's where I ended up. And that really had a big impact on you. Yeah, that I would say that uh, being able to um, to work in that setting with those families, getting to know them well, getting to know the social determinants of health uh, and how that impacted the health of my patients and the families that they were part of, really influenced me a lot. And i I really think you know, in retrospect, I was either part pediatrician, part social worker, because I really enjoyed working with other people as a team, getting involved with really what's causing issues in the health of, of the kids that I took care of.
0: Well, I mean, through the, the the thread through all of this is just some something about you, if you don't mind me kind of saying something about you that's really all about the connection and all about connecting to the, not just the person has a bundle of symptoms, but like there's a person here and they're in a context and and really having a deep respect for that.
1: Yeah. And I would say that that's really the primary, my primary draw to medicine. I always tell people as I get older, I start to understand as I look back that medicine is merely a vehicle that I chose to be in relationship with other people in service. Oh, that is so beautiful. So I think teaching, counseling, uh, ministry, all these other things or other ways that you can do that, there's countless number of ways. Mm. Yeah, that's wow.
0: Um, So okay, so now you've, uh, you've had this deep immersion into the culture of the medical needs and the social fabric of this underserved population. How does that Align with your other colleagues' experience did, to, was there a gap there, or was there an appreciation of what you were understanding, or did you feel like that this is there needs to be some education in the general community there?
1: Well, I think I was able in my career early on in my career to have some uh, job opportunities that allowed me to work with a team of people who were dedicated that recognized each other's gifts and talents, Mm -hmm. and to really support each other in utilizing those to the best that we are our abilities. So I think that that was something I found fortunate to be in. And I also was fortunate to have experiences abroad, working as a doctor in many other countries and understanding that cross-cultural aspect to healthcare and that cultural humility that comes from thinking that i know everything about what needs to be done and then ending up in a culture with people that really know more than i do and oh, i just wow. have to understand and respect that and,
0: do you have any, I, I hate to put you on the spot do you have like a story about that because it sounds like there's
1: a it sounds like there's a story in there and i'm just curious about it sure i i remember uh, uh I had many short-term uh, stints abroad working in international health, but the first long-term one was uh, soon after I got married, uh, my wife and I moved to Uganda, and we moved there and lived and worked uh, in pediatric HIV work in Uganda. Okay. Well, ho- hold on just for a second. How is
0: it that you decide, hey, honey, we're going to Uganda? Like, what? What, what was that conversation like? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, we both came from a background with some experience of living abroad. She studied in East Africa in Kenya as a college student, Uh, and I worked uh, a bit in Belize and the Dominican Republic as a doctor. Uh, So we both came with those common interests. And so... The plan was to move abroad after she finished her. PhD. Ah, okay, so all right, Thank that, that helps. Yeah, there we go. So we were in Uganda. And, you know, I went to Uganda. One of the biggest things, there's different types of uh, culture shocks when it comes to going from the U.S. and practicing medicine in a uh, low to middle resource country. You go there and the first thing is you notice all the things that you do differently and probably better for patients than people who are working uh there in that country do. So that's the first thing you go, Oh my gosh, we would we would have used this medicine or done this test or all of mm-hmm. these other things, but they don't have access to it. So that's a real shock and that's hard. But then the second shock comes when You see what can be done based on the resources that they have, and it still doesn't get done. Mm. And that can be for a myriad of reasons. And that can be because, you know, that they're just not aware of what can be done for patients, even though they have the ability to do it. But the other thing most of the time was that they knew so many more of the factors involved with what it means to have a specific illness or to be well in that country, and all the other social factors, economic factors, community factors that I didn't know. And so I had to switch and become the student with the residents that I was supposed to be teaching. And they taught me what tropical medicine was about, what it meant to uh, take care of and make very challenging decisions about who received care that was available and who didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I became a student to them. And mm. we kind of taught each other what we knew. Mm.
0: Wow, that's that's uh, so great that you were able to kind of, you know, press pause on, you know, hey, I, I got some catching up to you to do and let yourself take on a role of being informed by the people around you, even though you're the one that's supposed to be doing the informing, right? So it's kind of a nice uh, nice modeling also as well, I think, for leadership to be able to do that so uh so you
1: were in you were there for some period of time then right we were there for two years and uh and then um we got pregnant uh with our first child and moved to seattle washington uh from there because that's where my wife is from, and that was part of the deal we moved there <laughs> so there so you had all these
0: travel plans kind of in your in your marriage kind of already mapped out. Yeah, some of them were mapped
1: out. Yeah, I have to say that my wife kind of calls a shot most of the time. Oh, there the we time. go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we moved to Seattle and, um, and we had uh, two children and I was working teaching family medicine residents, actually. So I was a pediatric coordinator for our family medicine training program. And did that for five years and enjoyed that. And we had two children. And then uh, we went to a presentation about a family who had lived abroad with their kids and um, ended up, after much discussion, uh, deciding that we would move abroad with our kids. And, oh, wow. Uh, joined an organization, which was a mission organization, uh, and uh, we moved to Bolivia. And we lived there for four years with our two kids. So another trip
0: overseas and Mm -hmm. a big stint in a different country. Yeah. You'd already had the experience of, I need to lay back and learn from the culture. Did that help you in your second
1: excursion to Bolivia? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a whole different story when you have kids with you. Uh, Oh, of course. So we were in Bolivia, It's a pretty poor country, and yet uh, very rich in indigenous uh, heritage Indigenous spirituality, Indigenous medicine and health. Uh, and our kids went to uh, school with our Bolivian neighbors and we got to know uh, everyone around us very well through our kids and their kids. Mm-hmm. And we parented together and um, And I worked in a clinic there and I taught in the community. I took care of other um, Uh, Americans that were coming to Bolivia to to learn language, uh, to to work there. I did a variety of things, and that's really where I felt like I truly found myself. It seems Mm -hmm. like when I'm overseas, is something about the culture, the community-based culture, how time slows down, uh, and being able to do a variety of different things uh, instead of just direct patient care, that's mm. where I really felt like uh, I found my true self there.
0: When I hear you say that, it's like something in me just it like begins to glow. It's kind of like, oh, that's so great, and it sounds so mm, heartwarming and and nourishing. Um, so that's just it's amazing. So somewhere in the mix here, then you you actually became a. Would, would I be wrong to say you became a student of mindfulness, or did you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I've always been a kind of reflective person. Uh, I was raised in a, a, a Catholic Christian tradition, so prayer was a part of something that I was very familiar with. And I have to say, getting through medical school residency, um, I. I really relied a lot on reading books, reading books about theology, spirituality. Um, I also um, spent a lot of time journaling and reflecting on my experiences. Uh, Many times it seemed like other people who were in my class that were studying with me and everything, they just had this one track mind that they wanted to be a doctor and they wanted to, they had it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Not, not me. I, I needed time to, to reflect, <laughs> to to meditate, to pray, to to really understand those things. Talk to other people, you know. And I, and I think that that was the beginning. And then I think as time went on, I started to understand and discover mindfulness practice as a way for uh, to to have a meditative practice that. Enabled me to deal with a lot of the stressors and the trauma that I experienced in my in my work as a doctor.
0: Mm. Wow! Well, so, uh, did you actually did you take uh, any formal mindfulness training? And and uh, you know how did that how did that help you uh, in your work?
1: Mm. I you know the the earliest thing I can remember. Was when I was practicing uh in Washington, DC, even before moving to Uganda, I went on a silent retreat that was um uh the teacher was a uh a Jesuit priest who oh. who spent his entire career in India, and he had a mindfulness uh uh institute. And I went on a silent retreat to on a mindfulness retreat. Mm. And um it was it was challenging for me. I just <laughs> I didn't remember I'd never done anything like that before, and um, I mean, there was meditation for like six hours a day. There was sitting meditation, walking meditation, yeah. working meditation, walk, everything, and my head was killing me at the end of the day. It was just it was just an intense immersion into that. But I did come away from that experience feeling like. It fed my soul. It was something that mm-hmm. that enabled me to have that time of quiet and that time of quiet that I could put into my daily life when possible, depending on how busy I was, enabled me to be more present to other people, enabled me to be more aware of my own thoughts and, and reactions as well as others mm-hmm.
0: That's that's perfect. You know, that's exactly what I would hope for in response. So, for someone in a a role like yours, where being present with other people while being present with your own experience is crucial in the work that I do. Uh, But, like in my training, when I'm teaching coaches, that's exactly what we're going for. It's like being really, really, really finely attuned to your own experience of the client. And then also, their experience, right, and paying very close attention to that, so you'd been doing this work in Bolivia and you and you'd, and also you had uh, all this whole time you had kind of just practiced um, mindfulness and had come into some appreciation of that and so are you are you still in practice now uh, or what what's going on now in your practice
1: Well, after returning from Bolivia. Uh, there was a transition of re-entering uh, medicine here in the United States, and I I struggled with that. I struggled with that re-entry back into the culture here. Things were much more productivity-based. Medicine had become uh, more corporatized. Uh, I got a position, teaching position, and working with residents and also caring for patients. Um, But I started to really put a lot of pressure on myself to fix everything that was wrong with the system that I was working in (laughs) and taking on this responsibility. And it's something that we doctors have a tendency to do. If we think, if we see something that's not working, we take it on ourselves, the responsibility to fix it and make it right. You're going to heal the system just like you would a person. Exactly. So doing that and not being able to do that, I found myself really suffering uh, mm. with anxiety and uh, and eventually becoming pretty depressed and having to stop practicing completely.
0: Oh, well, so it sounds like you had some, you made some efforts and you, you know, had some resistance or you, things didn't go quite so well on that effort.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I tried to do it all myself. And I mm. think uh you know, granted, the system had issues, and it was a huge system uh, that I was working for. But I think it was a kind of a combination of me not having that perspective of being able to uh, impact what I had control over and really to have the the balance that I needed in my work, um, and really not understanding what that was about uh, mm. as well as working within that system. So I had to stop and take some time. And it was during that time that I spent time with a coach, a spiritual director, a therapist, everybody I could surround myself with.
0: <laughs> right. I need professional help.
1: I mean, everything. <laughs> and I really started to look back and reflect on what it was that brought me life in medicine, mm. what it was that I had discovered overseas, what it was that I discovered in great situations that I had as a doctor here in the U S and those core values were the key, the core values of the connection, compassion connection. Yeah. and being with people in relationship and working together collaboratively as a team. That was really key. And mm-hmm. so I started to go back part-time working in jobs that provided those Uh, opportunities to manifest those core values. But the other thing that came alive in me was that accompaniment. I really wanted to accompany other physicians, other health providers in trying to discover what it was that brought them life in medicine and really Mm -hmm. where they could find that position that they could have a balance in understanding what their role was as a doctor, as a physician but also to be able to understand that being a physician was not your complete identity. And that's something that I feel many of us physicians need to learn. And I still, everything, I mean, you know, as a coach and as a teacher of coaches, I mean, I'm just one step ahead of my clients. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm right alongside trying to do the same work that they're doing. And, Mm -hmm. And that's really what drew me to coaching. Hmm.
0: And so, so you decided, I'm going to help other professionals in my field connect to what's really lights them up. What really is core value for them, rather than um, let them suffer on the racetrack, so to speak. Right? Yeah. Um,
1: exactly. I think a lot of times what happens to us in medicine is that we jump on this train that is pre-med, then medical school, then residency, and then your career. And then there's just everything seems to be mapped out for us and we just keep going. And in the midst of that, we lose a sense of who we are, Mm -hmm. who we are at our core. And I feel like we're given this prescription of what it means to be a good doctor, And that becomes what it means to be a good person. And then all of a sudden, we are following someone else's path, someone else's program. So what I love to do with physicians is to to go back and really try to understand what those core values are that drive them, that drove them even before they became a doctor. Because those are the things that they're really going to seek out and really find life as a doctor. Mm. So
0: what is you? So what are you doing? How do you how do you get this to people? What's the form factor? How
1: do you engage with the uh, professionals in your field? Well, there's usually about three or four ways that I do it. One is individual coaching. Uh, many physicians will come to me because they're suffering from burnout. Mm. They're suffering, well, particularly from recently, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's been crazy. Yeah, so. Burnout has just skyrocketed. It was there before the pandemic, but now it's up into 60, 60 to 65% of physicians who are who are practicing consider themselves to be burned out. There's a lot of um, uh, moral distress, feeling like I'm being forced to do things that are against my values. Mm-hmm. So trying to help physicians find their way through that and to understand what to accept or not accept uh, with their conditions um, is one thing that I do. I also work with physicians that are in career transitions they're they're wanting to try something different. they're wanting to yeah. move from one thing to another. Um, so that's individual coaching and leadership a lot of times leadership, how to let go of this control and authoritative type of nature that we've been drawn into and and really have more of a collective leadership model. So those are things that I do individually and, and on retreats with physicians, getting them away to help them uh, do a little reflection so that they can understand what path that they want to take in their careers. And also the last thing is working with medical teams, trying to get people who are working together as a team to understand what gifts they each have and how those gifts can be brought together to help their team feel supported and to really care for patients the best way they can.
0: Wow. Well, well that's that's a big scope of work there. Uh, so blessings to you for taking that on. What's like, what's in your, what's over the horizon? Are you just taking this like a step at a time or do you have like, uh, your eyes on some, you know, uh, I'm going to arrive when, or some future direction you're going?
1: No, I think for me, I still, um, I still am involved in international health, global health. Uh, and But now, instead of doing the actual medical care, I accompany the doctors uh, who are going abroad and help them reflect on their experiences. Oh, I so it's a kind of a cultural adaptation, uh, facilitation. Exactly. Oh. So I, do, I still do some of that. Um, I love being in person, uh, giving retreats, facilitating retreats for medical teams, for office staffs to try to improve communication. Uh, And I have uh, like four day retreats that I offer for for the physicians to to get away and really take some time to dig deep. Uh, So I think I would love to continue to do a combination of that work of the retreat work, the uh, medical team work, and the individual client work coaching. That's incredible! I'm so glad that
0: you're in the business, so to speak, of and, and helping you know physicians, who are so desperately needed, connect to what's really true and core for them, because that's that way they can sustain their work and live the reason that they were called to serve in the first place. It's so powerful, and I'm, I'm, I'm just moved by your story, and I'm it just kind of brings to into focus like why i love doing this show because i get to hear stories like this and 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 help amplify that just to whatever degree we can by uh, for so that other people can hear it as well how do people find you if if, if other people are out there and they want to connect with you where where do they find you uh
1: i have my own website it's in it's uh com. so uh, if you want to reach me, you can go to my website. You can contact me by email it is joe at joeshermanmd.com. Uh, and I also am on LinkedIn for people that want to connect with me that way. Um, but most of the time, you can find out most of the information on my website to see the services that uh, that I offer.
0: Thank you. And he, and he's also a member of the Mindful Coach Association, Absolutely. so you can look him up
1: there. <laughs> I uh, I am. I am like, what do you call A founding member. I'm you are a list. founding member
0: exactly. and, and it comes to our community meetings. And so you can connect with both me and Joe at our community meetings, if you like, um, to join up at the mindfulcoachassociation.com. It's free to join. And you can connect with... The amazing group of coaches that show up there and you've been hearing them just, just like this story, which is so inspiring and deep. And the thread that has moved through this whole thing is just about your your passion, your commitment to connection in an authentic way. So I just want to kind of bow to you and then serve as an acknowledgement of that. So thank you so much for living your passion and, and your alignment and um, with helping you know bring great goodness into the world. If you were to give our listeners like um, one piece of advice that's that's is you know like on on the top two or three jewels of of your learning, what would you leave them with?
1: It's what I find gets me through every day, and that's self compassion. Is Mm. that if you, for me, I have to say, for (laughs) me. I start every morning in a practice of self-compassion mm. because I cannot show compassion toward anyone else. I can't be present to anyone else unless I am showing myself that same compassion that I am drawn to show other people. So start with yourself and just be aware of what's going on. Understand that you're not alone and give yourself that kindness and compassion that you desperately need.
0: Mm-hmm. In words of wisdom. Thank you so much. It's been great having you on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Brad. I really appreciate it.
0: You're more than welcome. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill, founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com.
1: Until next time, stay present.